Welcome back to Last Call with Jamie and Christian. This is your producer, James Santor, back for part two of Michael Arcieri's interview. If you missed part one, make sure to go back and listen on your favorite podcast platform now. In part two, we pick up where Michael discusses breaking into the NBA and all of the things he has learned along the way. Enjoy the show and happy holidays. Yeah, I want to I want to go backwards a little bit. You know, we're talking a bit about environment. Um you know, and you know, we talked about, you know, your younger days as a player at Wesleyan, um, you know, and doing some research on you, you told this amazing story about your father and you, you being late for the bus. Um, and, and I thought it was just so interesting um, because like you talked so much about environment and how, and the importance of that. Um, so I'd love to dive a little bit back into you being a Wesleyan player and maybe just share, you know, we have a lot of younger people that listen to our, to our, our, our media here that are trying to find their way into basketball. And, you know, you're a guy who went in, went as in basketball, was in basketball, stepped out of it, came back in and, and found your way back in. So I'd love to kind of give them their, your pathway a little bit, sure. because I think it's important for them to know that the resiliency that's needed to yeah. be able to sit in a chair that you're sitting one day. Yeah. Um, and that's th- this is always th- the reason that I'm happiest to to have these conversations because um, I, whoever's out in the audience hoping to get to some place someday NBA team or whatever it is it it's a hard hard road and it's and and it's not like I want to be a doctor okay I've got to be pre med and I've got to st- but you kind of okay but I know I think I know how I can get there now I've got to put in all the work. Whereas, how do you get to do some of the things that we do? So I'm, I'm happy to try to answer this question and share a little bit of my past and not hopefully put your audience to sleep. Um, but yeah, so you must have seen some um, interview or thing that I did when I talked about, um, but I, I, and I love telling that story more because I just, I, I, I adore my dad. <laughs> um, and, but and just the blessing of having someone who was right so supportive and committed that when you make a, a mistake, um, at least I was able to you know, get to meet up with the yeah. team. But uh, but I'll try to keep it super brief. But um, so I uh, I graduated Wes. I um, I was a paralegal at a uh, at a law firm in the second tower of the World Trade Center on the oh, wow. 100th floor. Um, and, uh, but I was still, my basketball was the bug. And so I, uh, I, I had a tryout in England, but then I have dual citizenship. And so I, I don't want to get into the whole story of, I ended up signing a contract to play in Italy in 1988, but it was conditioned on them changing a rule to allow a dual citizen to play which they thought they were going, they, they had basically decided to do it and then very abruptly changed their minds. And so which is like this life in basketball. People don't understand, like the life in basketball has like so many, oh, I'm here, I mean, no, I'm taking a step back and people don't I mean, understand that, like that happens I mean, so often. It happens all the time. And, and this one, Jamie, and was, I signed with, there are two teams in Bologna and I end up signing with the uh, Fortitudo, which is also a, a very historic team. 
And my mother is from that city. And my mother's family owned and operated a cafe on the main avenue. The arena they play in is called the, uh, the Paladoza, but they called it the Little Madison Square Garden because it's got a little pinwheel kind of roof like the garden does back home. And so I went, so I, I, I went for a tryout. I played some friendlies, some scrimmage games, assigned this thing for three years. And I'm on, I'm on cloud nine. I'm, I'm 24 years old. I'm going to, I wanted to play in Italy and I'm still thinking, Hey, I can parlay this into a training camp invite in the end. Like, you know, I'm dreaming as a little, as a young man, but five months later, Hey, the basketball federation is not going to change that rule. Sorry. Um, so, you know, that's, but into every life, a little rain, you know, must fall. But if that's my greatest hardship in life, then, you know, I'm, I'm batting, you know, I'm, I'm batting a thousand. Um, So anyway, so I'm sorry. So um, I came back to the States and I coached a high school team for uh, in Northern Valley Regional in Old Japan in New Jersey for a couple of seasons. I end up getting a job with the Nets um, through a friend selling tickets. And I'm only sharing this long story because maybe somebody will hear a part of this and be like, hey, wait a minute, that might be a way for me to do this thing. So I'm selling tickets and I, I, I was lucky and I, and I sold a bunch of them quickly only because I had a bunch of friends who liked basketball. <laughs> so, um, so the, the gentleman, Jimmy Lamparello, I still remember him, senior VP of, um, tick, of ticket sales with the Nets at that time. This is 1990. says, Hey, Michael, we want to give you a full-time job. And, um, and I said, Jimmy, I appreciate that, um, but I have to be candid with you. I took this, and I was in the Nets locker room. They, they put a table in there and some telephone wires, and that was Kenny Anderson and Derek Coleman and um, Drazen Petrovic, may rest in peace. Um, what a Mookie, great, what a great team. That was a great team, man. Great team. I really was hoping to find a way to get into basketball operations. And so I said to Jimmy, I said, and, and Willis Reed was the GM of the Mets at the time. And so long story short, I said, look, if you, uh, here I am negotiating, I'm a 27 year old, whatever, negotiating with Jimmy, who was a salt of the earth, wonderful guy, as was Willis Reed. And so I said, look, if you get me in Willis's office for five minutes, if I can't make something happen, I'll, yeah, I'll come and keep selling the tickets. And so Jimmy, um, made that conversation happen, and I ended up sitting down with Willis Reed and basic, basically asking him for um, for an opportunity. I, I, I want to keep the details, you know, shorter to not go on too long. So I end up scouting for the Nets for a couple of years, um, and then while I'm doing that, I'm also I'm living in New York City. I lived there for 27 years on the Upper West Side, and um, and so I was volunteered teaching English as second language while I was doing the scouting because yeah. I was an international scout, mostly the second season. So I'd go away for a few weeks and come back and I had time and I'm Catholic. I go to church and the church had an English as second language program. So I, I wanted to you know, do that for a little bit. And so the, the, the head priest, the pastor, Father Jim, may he rest in peace, came to me. Well, okay, this is more stories about it. I, I love I, it. Uh, oh, give it to us. So, give it to because, us. so, but just so listeners can hear, wait a minute, that was like, how did that happen? Right. And so I'm in Paris and I'm scouting Georgie Murasan. If you remember, George Murasan was seven foot seven. 
he was playing for one of the teams in Paris and I'm coming back to JFK and father Jim is on the plane now. And you don't typically see priests. I mean, of course they travel, they do that. So I said, he's I'm like, Hey, what are you doing on this flight? He says to me, look, we just raised a quarter of a million dollars to renovate that building. Um, he's a member, he was a member of the Franciscan friars. It's a Roman Catholic order of priests and they're very much into uh, social service and ministry. He said, we want to, I want you to help me found a not-for-profit basically and provide programs and services to the Upper West Side, um, 90s, Broadway, Amsterdam. And so um, to make a, a long, boring story, shorter and boring, um, I looked in the mirror that night and said, okay, I'm getting paid to go to Paris to watch basketball. Um, maybe I need to do a little give back thing. <laughs> um, thinking I would do it for a year. And so I went to Willis and said, can I come back after I do this thing for a year? And he, Willis being Willis said, go, go do your thing. And one year turned into 12. So life happens and the place grew. We got lucky, got some funding and the place really grew. And, um, by, I was there for 12 years, um, by around year eight was when I arrived at, uh, I love what this place does, but it's not my personal calling forever. Like that round ball is still, you know, God, family, and then that round ball. And so how am I going to get back to the NBA now? And, um, and my answer in 1998, 99 was, and you're way too young to maybe remember, there were a couple of lockouts yeah. and the CBA and the salary cap and trade rules and it was a turbulent time in the nba's history it was like we had I think we had two lockouts in almost like six or seven yeah, years exactly that were really abbreviated the season yeah. and but what was happening was a lot of gms were outsourcing or right con to accountants or to lawyers just to figure out hey can i trade this guy well what what, what does that mean salary oh i can go over so anyway all of that to say that i thought okay i I've played, I've coached, I've scouted. That's valuable on some level, I guess. <laughs> but what what can I do to to really bring value or help a front office? And I love coaching, by the way. So I was and I was coaching teams in that building at the community center. There was a gym on the third floor, so I was coaching AAU teams. So I I got my fix and kind of did that and worked guys out. So that was you know a lot of fun. So I went to a Brooklyn Law School at night. Um, from 2000 to 2004, um, graduated, luckily passed the, uh, the New York and New Jersey bar exam, um, toughest 10 weeks of um, my life. Um, and then I will not bore you or the audience with the odyssey that was 2005 to 2012 when Rob Hennigan called me and hired me to be his director of basketball administration and his salary cap and trade guy. But to say that from 2005 to 12, most of that time I worked as an attorney um, at, a, at, a, at a big, very good firm called Paul Weiss in Midtown. Um, but my concept was I want to have a job that I, I can keep paying my New York rent um, and then I'll have enough money to go to Las Vegas Summer League or the Orlando Summer League or Portsmouth or the G League at that time, the D League. So wherever NBA personnel were, that's where I was going to go. And 
it took me 91 months. I still, I count <laughs> numbers are important. And so I'm sharing that only because you used the, the perfect word earlier, you know, and not that I'm the king of resilience. I certainly am not, but I, I had the time, you know, I was kind of, I was single and I was, my blinders were on and I, and this is what I want to do. I want to work for a team. And so it took a long time, but when Rob Hennigan called me and, and made that job offer, um, I don't know. Uh, no, I do know my, 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 my little man, my little man being born, you know, um, it, it was more, it was a more joyous moment, certainly, or my wife saying yes to me that she'd marry me. But um, anyway, who, who so was the, when, when Rob Hennigan called you, who was the first person you called after, after taking that opportunity? Um, so it was a, it was a Friday. It was August 3rd. It was 623 PM. And I was already, I would go home to see my parents live in Ridgewood, New Jersey and Bergen County, about 25 minutes away. So I decided I wasn't going to call them and tell them I was going to, I was going to just put the term sheet that they, <laughs> they were going to send me the next day in the morning in front of them. Cause they'd lived through this odyssey, of course, mm -hmm. for, um, so the first thing I did, actually, I called, um, I called Matt, Matt Lloyd was the assistant GM who I'd interviewed with, um, when I went down to Orlando, um, I called him to say thank you and to tell him how much I was looking forward to working, you know, being part of the magic family. I hung up the phone, called Scott Perry, who was the other assistant GM. So I, those were the first two calls. And then, you know what, man, I'm a strange person because I was, you know, there are no words. I can't, you know, 91 months is a long time. Yeah. And, and not to say that I wasn't living life. And during all that time I was, I was working and, I, you know, so I remember I took a shower because it was, because Rob had told me he was going to call me after work. So I left the office. It was about 6 p.m. No, 5.30. And I said, you know what? I typically take the, the one train home. I said, I'm not even going subterranean tonight. I'm going to stay above ground. I don't want anything to happen. So, and it was August 3rd. It was, it was New York city in August. So, yeah. and I walked from 51st street to 97th. And so I just remember after the call, um, taking a shower and walking to one of my favorite little Carmine's is an Italian restaurant yeah. back home. Um, by myself, I went by myself. I walked in there. I had a small glass of red wine and the, and the eggplant parmigiana, which I love. And that's just, I just needed to let it sink in for a minute because it was like, I don't know when you use the word surreal or when you're supposed yeah. to use, but I feel like maybe that's the word to describe that evening. So that's a, that's a long winded answer to your question. Um, who did I call? I don't think I called anybody that night and then i told my parents um yeah. how did then, your parents how did your parents respond oh um, yeah i mean I, I, I think, yeah i think mom and dad i think i don't i think mom shed the tears i think dad my dad's super he, he's a fun loving fun guy but he's he his public his he's super serious and reserved and he kind of looked at it and um and then so he has to make a he's a new york city guy and so like he, he's boxed he's a doctor but he's a tough guy <laughs> And so what I had done is I'd whited out the, um, the, the compensation numbers on the term. I, not that I, you know, I told him anyway, but 
So my dad's just like, oh, you whited out. Why are you volunteering? Like, are they not going to pay you? Like he had, he had to go and find humor in that moment. Um, but my mom, of course, because every, every one of those 91 months, she'd be like, well, Michael, you have this great law degree. And, you know, what are you going to do if this MBA thing doesn't work out? Right. Which is a question every mom, you know, yeah. should, should be asking. And her son, of course, would always just wasn't thinking that way. I mean, that's for, for better or worse. And I, and I guess in this case, for better. Um, but that was, um, I just kind of just let it sink in myself because it, it was a long time coming. But, and I, I sh- I'm almost embarrassed to share any of this, except for any, for any one person listening, um, you, need, you need to have a thick skin and yeah. you need to be able to keep, keep it moving. Um, but the good news was you didn't need 30 teams to hire you. You just needed one to hire you. You needed one guy to say, you know what? That's a good person. He's got the competency. And so it, it, if I can do it, anybody can. Right? My dad's a Astoria kid from New York. He's doctor. He had no ties to basketball. He played sandlot football and he boxed. Right? <laughs> And so, and then his son goes on to fall in love with a different game. And so anybody, and, and one of, one of the things I've enjoyed certainly the most is now you, when you, know, when you work for teams, even here in Italy, but especially back home, you get people reaching out to you all the time. Hey, can I talk to you? Can I have a coffee? How did, and so um, I, I, I try to always say, don't ever forget how it felt during the 91 months when you were on the other side of that email or phone call and, um, and to watch friends um, and acquaintances get jobs in the NBA is, um, is, is a lot of fun for me um, <laughs> because I, cause I, I know better than, than most how they feel. Um, it just happened a few weeks ago. Um, a friend got a job anyway. So um so anyway, all of that to say to the people listening, um, you can make it happen, but but you also have to create, you know, it, it requires luck, um, but you have to also create your luck. So you have to put the work in always in life. But if that means sending that extra email, making that call, going to that event, and the other, if I can give advice, if that's okay, because I've lived this one a lot and you have too, I'm sure you've had a lot of people want to work with you and coach on your staff. And the, and we get these emails all the time. Hey, I'd love to work for so-and-so team and I'm going to be the best and I'm going to work harder. And that's fine to say, I think, I guess. But what always stood out was the communication, the email that said, Hey, Michael, I see you guys are, thinking about maybe extending John Doe. Here's some ideas I have about that, you know, free of charge, smiley face. Yeah. Kind of Just because that, that shows so much. It says what, and that's what I tried to do. What I want is not important to any of the 30 teams. They're just trying to win a Larry O'Brien trophy. That's right. it. So how can I help you do that? Or how can I at least show you that maybe I can help you do that? So when I get an analysis, hey, I think you should pay so-and-so 48 over four years, you know, ascending. I mean, that, it doesn't even matter if your work product is right or wrong or yeah. a good idea or not. I don't, you've, I've, you've, already, you've already won the room with me 
because you've showed me you have the judgment and the the wherewithal to think <clears throat> I need to be focused on what you're worrying about, team. That's yeah. not not that I want a job. That anyway. So I would say to people who are are trying to make a job happen, who who is your audience? But kind of my dad would always say this, Michael. You, you it's human nature to think about yourself and what you want. You can't live life like that. You've got to think about what the other person is going through. I mean, all parents say that, and it's the right thing to say. But but even in this instance, okay, or I want to work for an NBA team or I want to coach a college team, what can I bring? How can I help you? Right? That's what, right? That's what I, because I was, I was living my life trying to figure out what to pay that guy in the extension. <laughs> so if somebody sent me an email and said, hey, by the way, here's just some thoughts. Do you think I was going to read that email? Absolutely. Every yeah. single time. I don't know everything. I'm, I'm sure, I've learned a ton of stuff from people who don't work for the team and told me, hey, have you thought about that? No, in fact, I haven't. Thank you very much. Um, so to get outside of yourself and really focus on what, what the entity you're trying to join, what are they trying to accomplish? Um, is it go, goes a long way, and and then an obvious one, a soft skill. I hate calling it that because to me it's the most important skill is just humility and 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 communication and and knowing not to call me at two thirty on the day of the trade deadline, which, which I had happen, and then right and the phone rings and somebody's asking me, can I can I meet you for a coffee, and and you could only laugh because the timing <laughs> was so bad that you were having a bad, you just didn't know, obviously. But anyway, but having the humility, understanding how to communicate and doing that in a way that's just appropriate, thoughtful, man, because you know, it's no different than you know being a coach and heading a coaching staff. You're with these people all the time, yeah. every single day. It's who you live with. You know, and your your family too, um, and so you want to you want to be with good people. That that matters a lot. So, um, so hopefully people have that intrinsically. But but don't discount that. It's not only about what degrees I have, or no, you have to be able to play nicely in the sandbox. Otherwise, I would recommend a different line of work. Last Call with Jamie and Christian is powered by Speakeasy for Sports, the first exclusive platform for sports professionals by sports professionals. We connect you directly with top performers in the industry and allow you to build the relationships that will help grow your career. Think of it as the Final Four, NBA Summer League, or any other sports convention, all now from your laptop and phone 24-7, 365. Careers grow through relationships. And relationships go through Speakeasy. Join the Speakeasy family today at speakeasyforsports.com. Yeah, you need you need really good teammates to be successful in anything. Absolutely. And you know, there's other walks of life that you can be in where you can be individually really successful and kind of put your head down. But in the game of basketball or sport in general, yeah. you have to be able to be able to know when to use your talent, but when also to share it and help others. I'm always I've been amazed uh, at just the kindness of people. In sport, it's interesting. The higher you go up, I feel like the more kind people are, the more they want to listen. Like the very best really want information from a lot of different places. Right. Yeah. Um, and I've just been always been amazed at that. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. Um, 
and I, I don't read as much as I should. Lord knows that. Um, Good to Great is a book that yeah. um, lots of people read, and some, and luckily I did. Um, and he talks about right great leadership and the two types of leaders: the one who look in the mirror and the one who look out of the window. Yeah. And um, and and I I completely agree. And um, the ability to um, right because when you start, okay, like you said, if okay, if my task is. Um, Okay, go into your office and just run this code on on pick and roll in the first quarter. And you're managing and coordinating and orchestrating a group of people to do stuff. Um, the people who are best at it, as a generalization, are, are people who are humble and who and who who say no no I need I want you to do this thing and I need you to help me and I want to empower you. Um, and it's not only about humility, but it's about, again, I'm sorry, I'm on my soapbox here, but I've, I've lived this a lot. I've seen both sides. Caring deeply about human beings, which we should do all the time anyway, <laughs> but with respect to in, a, in an endeavor with a bunch of people, in an intense thing, I mean, right? Every single person un, under your watch, they... They have they have life and okay they got a wife at home okay and mortgage yeah and they have ambitions and they have yeah. to develop and they have to feel like what they're doing matters and has value and it's and it takes the right I'm not going to say special it takes the right person who's in tune with these things to bring that group together and have every because at the end of the day that's all anybody wants I, yeah. I, I want to feel valued and respected it doesn't matter whether I'm cleaning the court after the game. Or I'm the guy who, you know, or, or I'm handling the ball with eight seconds left, and I'm I'm coming off the screen shooting it. Um, so that's um, I don't even know where I'm, how I got to this place, <laughs> but um, but but no, management I, and leadership, man, are, are are super super important. And I, I you know, I I take I, I take everything. I, don't, I take myself not seriously at all, but I take the responsibility super seriously. And when you're managing people. And not just the players. I'm talking. You know, yeah. you do you do that. You do the same exact thing. You've got your coaches. You've got your grad assistants. Your dobos. You have all of that, in addition to your players. And if your player doesn't feel like you love him, and you respect him, he will not run through that wall for you. He will not make that extra pass. He'll transfer next. Year, you know, not saying you personally. You know, but I'm saying yeah. that's just it's just the way life is. And if you can. And if you can find the right people, and I think, I hope we, we found a good group here and we're trying to pour into every single person. And, and if they feel that, when they feel that, you're, and it just, it's just nice. <laughs> it's like you said earlier, it's nice. It's, hey, I can't wait to go to work because you know, I've been in places when you don't feel like that. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. You talk about the word respect and, it's one of the one of the harder things to help coaches keep in mind is to have a lot of great respect for what we're asking our players to do or what we're asking the janitorial staff to do or you know like we're asking this player to make 45% from 3 or whatever it is respecting his time respecting how he feels respecting his wants needs the things he's been through um, I do feel like basketball's moving in a better space of that. I think sport in general is moving in a better space with that, of just having true respect 
for what's what's what we're asking to be done at the highest level because we start to recognize that there is pressure behind it. So it's refreshing to hear from someone who's had such an amazing life in leadership already and and sort of just starting out a new journey with it that that's a priority for you. Yeah, that's um, I I agree with you. It's um, there's nothing more there's nothing more important and and whenever I you know pull out of town, pull out of Varese, I want, I want to be able to look back and or or have people say, hey, we we really liked working there. We felt like this was a group, this team, and you and it's a, it's a sad you know New York Knicks fans are not the only savvy fans. They're all over the world and here too. You know, fans, hey, uh, and it's a small town, right? It's eighty thousand, and they love this team. And guy, I mean, I hate to tell the story, but just to give you an, a guy who I don't know, the, the final buzzer went off. The guy missed a gimme. We win the game. Crowd's going crazy. A guy who I don't know has walked up to me and he hugged me super tight, and and he just said, "Hey, we're, we're just so thrilled about the way these guys are playing together." And the way they're playing, I mean, and there it is. But it's but it's a great responsibility. But it's also but there's great rewards with it though too. I'm not going to lie. When that guy said that to me, like I'm not, I have I have almost zero to do with it. But it's just, but he meant it. He felt it, and yeah. I, I like the fact that hey, this human being actually is feeling some joy tonight, and he's yeah. bringing his little kid to watch the game. And because at the end of the day, I, that's my other thing is you got to share this thing. Like, yeah, you know, we, we're blessed to have these jobs, but you you got to share it too as much as you can, and so that's that's a lot of fun. Also. Yeah, we would always say, you know, connections are a gift to the world, and we we want every person that comes to watch us play to feel that connection. Yeah. You know, yeah. because they've spent money, they've spent time, yeah. they've spent emotion on 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 something that they can't, you know, on something that maybe they can't all do. And so if you're building an organization where people are coming in every day and they're feeling connected to the process and the product, you know, you're much further ahead than, than what some people can imagine. You're much further ahead than three and two. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's important to always realize. Yeah. I hope that's what we're trying to, that's what, that's what we're trying to get to. Um, and it, uh, it motivates, you know, you can't, can't sleep on it. And if you, if you don't want to be part of, you know, do something like this, then pick a different line of work. But it's, uh, it's definitely um, yeah, a great motivator um, for me and, and for all of us. Well, I've got, you know, we always round up here with, with uh, on last call with our final question and okay. the final question, it's last call. So it's like the end of the night, we're at the bar, you're at the bar, you've got a seat to the left of you of someone who's retired and a seat to the right of you of someone who's still active and, and working. Who are the two people you want beside you at the end of the night on the last call? Retired would be my professor Aaron Tversky from Brooklyn Law School. He taught me torts and he, he was the preeminent authority on product liability in the whole country. Interesting. But our first class, August 2000, big study hall, 100. 60 of us and a girl raises her hand and you know we're all to first class in law school and said how much should we study professor Tversky and he looked at her and he said well the answer to that question is you should be studying every possible moment that you can but of course you can't do that because you have wives and husbands and children 
and your family is the most important thing. Um, anyway, so that, that was all that he said. So you have to figure out what that balance is. Yeah. But I was there, I went to school at night for four years and um, his dedication to um, his craft. And again, he was a, he was a preeminent professor, um, but his love for his family, um, I would love to, one, let him know how much I admired him because he would never know that. Um, but to ask him, how did he, what was the secret to his success of continuing to grow and become preeminent? And I'll never be preeminent at anything. Um, but at the same time, um, love and adore and, and prioritize um, his family um, is somebody that just... Um, nobody's asked me this question before he comes to mind um and somebody who's still working i guess is uh, in the other seat that would be brother brian carty brother brian um founded a a school for academically gifted they used the word minority students um i think they had one white student but they were um, black and Latino from all five boroughs in New York. Um, and my sister ended up working for him as an English teacher. And she rose to assistant principal. I'm very proud of my family and my sister. Um, and he's been, um, he's been teaching and guiding youth. He's in his 80s now, and he started doing it probably when he was early 20s. Um, and he's affected more lives and produced more doctors, lawyers, senators, teachers um, than, than the rest of the Upper West Side of Manhattan, where the school happened to be um, located. And I would probably um, be asking something along the similar lines was how did he, um, my, my Catholic faith happens to be important to me. Um, and the conversation would go something similar. How are you able to stay grounded in, in your faith life and what is most important? Um, and at the same time, find the time to invest um, in all of these different individuals and their families, because, you know, I'd like to think I'm doing something that is helpful. <laughs> um, and I love my job, don't get me wrong, but um, to be able to, um, to listen to them talk about successes, um, also failures, those two people come to, I'm sure I would, might think of others, but Professor Twersky and, and Brother Brian Carty come to mind tonight. They're genuine uh, answers. Those are the kind of answers that we, that we love. Michael, I want to thank you for your time, and we're going to wish you all the most luck this season. You guys are well on your way to getting yourselves back up to the top of that division. We are grateful. And um, the, the invite for you to come to Varese is official, brother. So you said you want to get to Italy at some point. We're over here. Um, we are, you're welcome to come. We'd be happy to, uh, to host you. So hopefully, I love it. I'll, I'm going to take you up on that. Please do. Please do. Thank you so much. Appreciate the time and spending the time with you. Thank you for joining us on The Last Call, powered by Speakeasy, where careers grow through relationships and relationships grow through Speakeasy. We hope you enjoyed it, and we look forward to connecting with you soon.